Once again, thank you to the Gingeries for their help ministering to us in music, pointing us to wonderful truth about our Lord, that God is indeed good. I invite you to take your Bible and go with me again to 1 John chapter 1 this evening. We'll pick up where we left off this morning in 1 John 1. We mentioned it this morning, Pastor Gingery alluded to it earlier, but it is uh, our church's 55th anniversary, technically today, and uh, often when we meet over in the gym, which is more of our normal course for tonight, at least the last several years, uh, I'll take an opportunity just to ask when different people came to Bible Baptist Church and try to learn a little bit about who all's over there, if you will, and it's Interesting to me, maybe to some of you, maybe others of you, like, I don't care, uh, but to go, what decade did you come? Were you here in the 60s? Were you here in the 70s? Were you here in the 80s? Were you here in the 90s? And so on, working our way through to find out when did God bring you here? You know, we could add to that on so many different levels and say, and how many were saved here? Where God used his word, his gospel uh, maybe through a church member, maybe through a tract, maybe through an invitation, maybe through a service, and you came to know the Lord here. Others would say, well, you know, I was saved somewhere else, but I had the privilege of being baptized here, or, uh, you know, the Lord really challenged me and I grew here. Uh, one of the things that's always stood out to me about our church here is how many people met their spouse here. Um, you know, it's not like a prerequisite for membership, but sometimes it seems close, um, to go, well, you know, I met my spouse here. Uh, you know, you think about the years, there's all these different lives that are touched. And uh, at one point I thought, man, it'd be great to try to quantify it or come close, but I'm not sure. It's somewhere in the thousands, tens of thousands. I don't know how many people have in some way been impacted through the ministry that God has given us here. And again, I say that for his glory, for his recognition's sake. We go, Lord, thank you for keeping us and preserving us and using us because we, frankly, trip ourselves up a lot. But, you know, if you took the time and won't have you do it now lest you be distracted for a good portion of the service, but if you took the time just to start to think through different individuals, different families uh, that you've met over time here, it's quite a list, quite a diverse list, actually. Um, you've got people with different backgrounds, different ages. Some grew up in Westchester. Some, <coughs> like me, came as a transplant. <coughs> I was thinking about Jim Dilworth. He's with the Lord. He's in big church today, right? wasn't long I met Jim, and Jim told me, you know, I've never lived more than five miles from Chester County Hospital. I thought, wow, that's quite the life story, just all born, raised in Chester County, not far from here at all. Others of us would say, well, you know, I've lived here and here and here and here. But through time, you realize that people go different places, they come from different places, and somewhere in there, you have an opportunity, we have an opportunity. God, through the ministry of the church, has an opportunity to impact a life. The text we're looking at in 1 John reminds us of why we're here, and what draws us together. It's something we shouldn't take for granted, but it is something we should be very intentional about. Uh, in fact, I like the pointedness with which John writes. 
sometimes we almost act as though, well, why do I come to church? And it's like, well, it's what I've done, or it's the church that's closest to my house, or, uh, you know, just these different factors. I know this person, and those aren't necessarily in and of themselves bad things. But the purpose for why we gather, the unity of the church when it gathers, what we could say what calls us, what keeps us, what purposes us, is our fellowship in Jesus Christ. <coughs> and John is very direct about that as he writes here, where again, he says in verse 4, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full, having pointed us to the fact that we want to have fellowship one with another and fellowship ultimately with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So there in verse 3, in fact, let me just read both verses for us before we make our way through them this evening. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. We'll summarize those two verses tonight with this thought. His purpose, John's purpose in writing is our joyful fellowship. <coughs> this morning we said his focus is on an incomparable person, Jesus Christ. We said here's Jesus' position, his exclusive position. He was from the beginning. But beyond that, John had the opportunity along with the other apostles to have personal interaction with him. We've heard him. We've seen him. We've looked upon him. Our hands have handled him. He is the word of life. And so we're declaring him to you. We're telling you about him. And then we also talked at the end of our time about Jesus' humble incarnation in verse 2, that this life was manifested unto us, bringing eternal life with him. Tonight as we pick back up, looking at this purpose of John where he says, we're declaring that you might have fellowship with us, that you might understand that truly our fellowship is with God the Father, and that we might have joy together. We're saying his purpose is our joyful fellowship. Notice with me first, uh, as we come to that phrase midway through verse 3, that Jesus is the impetus of our mutual fellowship. Why we gather tonight, while we do live in this broader Westchester area, is not simply because of a geographical location. It's not because of what will happen for many of us where we go to work tomorrow and go, well, we share the same occupation. It's not for simply what we do on a weeknight when we get to others to go, hey, we have the same hobby or the same interests, and so we, we meet to enjoy that hobby together, that activity together. We gather and we function as a church because of a mutual fellowship that comes through the person and work of Jesus Christ, our faith in him. I would remind you, and again, I realize it's the Sunday night crowd, a smaller Sunday night crowd than usual, but this word fellowship has deep meaning. It's the idea of this common bond, not just in the sense of a point of commonality, but a shared mindset as well as a shared mission. So, you know, we hold all of this so closely together that we experience a fellowship. You know, again, we, we have church fellowships, if you will, where we'll gather for an event and enjoy food, and that's not bad in and of itself. But what John is pointing us to is so much deeper than that, to go, you share a mindset, you share a mission because of Jesus Christ. Again, there are all kinds of people we live around, and we could say, well... You know, we share 
the, the same city. We shop at the same stores. Um, even when we go to family events, we share the same family last name, but we don't have what John is speaking about here because there's not a commonality of mindset. There's not a shared mission in what we do because they don't know Jesus Christ. Fellowship is a unique bond in Christians because of Jesus that brings us together from all different walks of life. It was last year we were studying through the book of Colossians, and Colossians makes it so clear, as does Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is a little bit longer section. But in Colossians 3, remember verse 10, he says, You put on the new man, which is renewed after knowledge of, uh, renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. It's in Ephesians 2, it's in Colossians 3. It's also in Galatians 3, where he says in verse 26, You are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You start working through those texts, Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, Galatians 3, 3, Colossians 3 as well, I misstated that one. He's saying it doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter what your social standing is. If you are in Christ, he is everything. He's brought you together. You are one. You have fellowship in Christ. Again, the church looks like that, we could say in part, because heaven looks like that. You could go to Revelation chapter 5 and see it in John's vision there, or I think of it in John's vision coming out of the tribulation in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where he says, This I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palms in their hands, cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. When we think about John's statement here in John First John chapter one to say you have fellowship with us, we want to be about the business as individuals and as a church, calling others into fellowship with us by fellowship with God the Father through His Son Jesus Christ. Says, hey, join us in this common mission. Join us in this common mindset that says we want to see Him praised. He's bringing people from all different walks of life all different backgrounds, all different ages together as one. Sometimes people view that as an inconvenience, or sometimes, if we're honest, that makes things uncomfortable. To go, well, you know what, we're not, we're different. But that is a beautiful thing about the work of Christ that says, you know what, in spite of that, we're going to work through those things so that we have this shared fellowship together because of Jesus. Jesus is not only the impetus of our mutual fellowship, more importantly, and even more foundationally, secondly, we see Jesus is the basis of a special relationship. Because he says, truly, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. He takes it beyond what is simply interpersonal to make it more spiritual, to make it worshipful, to say, this ultimately is about our relationship with God himself through his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, if we're not careful, we could tend to view the church simply as just a social interaction or kind of, well, it's the right thing to do. It's just a habitual function of what we do. 
Here we're reminded, yes, we have fellowship with one another, but it's because of the fellowship that we have with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. Our relationship to God is primary, it's foundational, and then it leads to interaction with others. I think by way of personality, by way of application, you can chuck it if you want, but I think some of us would like the first phrase and go, well, yeah, we ought to have fellowship with one another. And there might be others who would go, well, yeah, it's about fellowship with God, and over here is probably the extroverts, and over here is probably the introverts. Go, well, yeah, I have fellowship with God, and I enjoy sweet time with him. And others are going, yeah, we have fellowship one with another. And John is saying both of these are true through Jesus Christ. What joins us together over here is our walk with God. But our walk with God also drives us to have interaction with others. So we think about the concept of what John is saying here about fellowship. We're writing to you that you would have fellowship with us, but truly our fellowship is with him. I'd like you to think of it this way. I'll walk through a little mental exercise, hopefully keep you awake this evening. If we were to look to the center there in the back, we see a cross on the wall. It's safe to say the cross can represent for us tonight Jesus Christ. You know what? Each of us are to be pursuing a deep relationship, a fellowship with Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were with us to celebrate the Lord's table last week, we spent time in Hebrews chapter 10 saying we have access to God, amazing access to God. So what's the first command? Draw near. Get close to him. Talk to him. Spend time with him. Don't worry about whether or not you're worthy because you can say my heart is cleansed. I, I can do so with full assurance of faith, Hebrews 10 says. So draw near. You know, if each of us said, you know what, I'm going to pursue Christ. We've got people spread out across the room, people in the back, people in the front. But if we physically had you do it, it might be kind of fun. We've got a small enough group we could try, but I won't make you get up out of your nice, comfortable seat and be really nervous. As you start walking towards the cross in the front, what's going to happen by the time you get to about right here? It's going to be a little uncomfortable, is it not? If you're walking a straight line to that cross, it's going to bring you much closer to those around you. I think that picture should help us in our mind's eye go, you know what, when I'm drawing near to God through the relationship I have with Jesus Christ, it brings me closer to people. It causes me to engage life with other people because God through Christ has given us a special fellowship among believers through a special relationship with God himself through the Son, Jesus Christ. Again, even there, we're pointed to two members of the Trinity to go, here's God the Father, here's the Son, Jesus Christ, that we have fellowship with. It's fascinating to me as I study and prepare just this first week in 1 John to see the connections with John's other writings. What he's pointing to here, this fellowship, this unity, this shared mindset and purpose, echoes well with what John told us Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 as Jesus prays in the garden. You remember Jesus' words praying first for his disciples and then for future followers? He says in John 17, verse 20, neither pray I for these alone. I'm not just praying for my current disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, 
that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Saying, I'm praying that there would be this unity presence. We're in 1 John 1, this fellowship presence where it causes others to go, I believe on Jesus Christ because of what I see in the impact in the lives of other people. We've said Jesus is the impetus for our fellowship. He's the basis of a special relationship with God the Father. But I want us to think for just a moment about the implications of these truths and try to apply them to our lives. If we avoid being drawn into a close relationship or a caring fellowship with others, we're missing the point of Christ's work in these words here in 1 John. To go, well, you know what, again, that's a really private matter between me and God, and I I just enjoy sweet fellowship with God, but I'm just not a people person, so I just kind of avoid people. What John writes here, what Jesus has instructed in his word, pushes against that. To say, no, we share fellowship with one another. There's interaction that takes place because of Jesus Christ. Fellowship gives us that common bond, that common purpose, that common commitment as we walk through life together. Jesus is the impetus of mutual fellowship. He's the basis of a special relationship. Third, as we come to verse 4, joy is the consequence of faithful discipleship. Joy is the consequence of faithful discipleship. Admittedly, when we come to this verse, this verse kind of serves as a hinge or a pivot in the text. It connects what's gone on before in verses 1 through 3 with what's going to follow in verses 5 through the end of the chapter. And along those lines, we're going to start to see the connection, if you will, the first side of the hinge tonight. We'll not see the full weight of it until next week, but he writes these words, these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. By the way, it's a matter of habit for John to be that direct in his writing. 1 John 1, 4, we see it here, these things write we that. He's going to say it again in chapter 2, verse 1, these things write I unto you. He's going to say it in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. He's going to come back and say it again in chapter 5. He's like, I just want you to know, I'm going to be really clear and direct. I am writing to you so that this is the case. What a wonderful truth John wants his readers to get. Because we recognize inspiration, can I say also, what a wonderful truth God wants you and I to get. I am writing this book, he says, so that your joy would be full, complete, mature. I wonder if that's where we lived this last week. You go, you know what, maybe it was circumstances were difficult, things were hard, but could we say... Actually, this week I had joy. It's important to understand that this joy is reciprocal and mutual. It's not just personal or individual. We might miss that in the way it's translated here, and some translations handle it differently, saying your joy may be full or our joy may be full, to say this is something that we're all going to experience. To go, I'm writing to you so that we would all have a joy because of the fellowship we have with one another and the fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ, which then flows out into how we live. It's that hinge idea. Because 
Again, we're talking about here's Jesus, here's our fellowship in him. I'm writing so that your joy would be full. Then he's going to come and say, now, here's how we ought to live. God is light and him is no darkness at all. So we need to walk in the light. It's going to impact how we live to experience that fullness of joy, that completeness of joy. We experience joy individually and corporately in receiving what Christ has done for us, believing it, and then also obeying him, obeying what he's commanded. John repeats a similar theme in some very familiar verses in 2 John and then even more so in 3 John, where he's going to say, hey, you're walking in truth. You're actually living out these things, and that's what brings me great joy. I have no greater joy because they're living out their fellowship in Christ. So we look at this idea that joy is given individually and corporately in a believing and obeying Christ. It's true grammatically in what's said here. The idea of joy being complete is a perfect passive. It's the idea of your joy was made complete back there, but it's still going on right here. It's not something that you worked, but something that was given to you or done for you. It's made complete by something, or we should say someone outside of ourselves. God gives it to us, not our circumstances or other people, but God. Furthermore, this idea of perfect tense means it can keep being that way. It can continue on. It happened back there, but it's continuing on now. So I was studying earlier this week. My mind went back to John chapter 10. I alluded to it this morning. Jesus came so that you would have life. That's clearly present in the text here in 1 John 1. And that your life would be miserable. I came that you would have life and that you would have it more abundantly. Here he's saying Jesus came and he brought this life and we have fellowship with him. And I'm writing this to you so that your joy would be complete. It would be full as we'll continue building out in the next message ahead, that happens as we not just believe, but obey. If I can take you to John's gospel in your mind again, same thought gets echoed there, John 15. Remember John 15 is the image of abiding in the vine, abiding in Christ. You've got to be connected to Christ. You've got to be in him. But coming out of that illustration, Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. Not like be occasionally present, but that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Found in our relationship with Christ and obeying him. Keep in mind what we saw this morning. John's writing to combat an error of antichrist, of those who've left Christ and see no longer the need to walk in Christ. If you follow that, if if you say, you know what, I'm going to reject Jesus and I'm going to live differently, it is what steals joy. They were to, they had believed on Christ, they were to continue believing, experiencing fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Again, as we prepare to close this evening, a few simple thoughts by way of principle by way of reminder. We read a text like this, we're reminded that if one does not know Christ, 
it's automatically going to impact our fellowship. It's going to impact our relationship. Some of you know what that's very clearly, where you're like, I have family that don't know Christ, and I feel closer to people at church than I do at a family gathering. You get it. Because the reality is we can't deny it that our Christianity is so life-orienting, so life-shaping, that we go to know Jesus Christ forms everything. It forms our fellowship. And for someone to not know Christ, we, that which is common is missing. But then secondly, if we don't live for Christ, we might claim to know him, but we don't live for Christ, we also don't have fellowship. A man who's called a brother cannot walk in darkness. A man who's called a brother cannot avoid love, First John 4. And we lack fellowship there as well. If those things are true in our life personally, what 1 John chapter 1, verse 4 is telling us, we'll lack joy at the same time. So our thoughts are simple to say, let's focus on, as we work our way through John, this incomparable person, Jesus Christ, understanding that as we walk through life together, we have fellowship with him, a special relationship with one another, but more importantly, a special relationship with God through which we experience joy. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for the rich words of this text that remind us of the incredible work that you've done through Jesus. Dealing with our sin, but giving us a privileged relationship with you and also a unique and special relationship with one another. Lord, I pray that our church family would experience that fellowship in knowing Christ, but also in seeking to obey you according to the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you take the truths that we've considered and use them to uh, bring joy as they're lived out in the life of each believer here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.